I hope during this series you will uh, use it as an opportunity to, to invite your friends who don't go to church um, because they need to understand. You can just tell them, say, listen, uh, I know maybe church is not your deal, but my pastor's doing a series explaining why the, uh, explaining the church. And maybe why don't you come with me and uh, consider what the church is about before you reje- keep rejecting it and decide, well, I can be a Christian, but I don't have to go to church. Or I can, I can, I can love God, but it's not about going to a building. And yeah, that's right. It's not about going to a building necessarily. But, but just tell them, my pastor's preaching a series on the church and maybe it'd be worth giving a, a listen to before you just totally decide that it's, it's something you ought to dismiss from your life. Um, by the grace and sovereignty of God, we believe the church is the home address and the keeper of the revelation that Jesus Christ came to this earth, died for our sins, rose to be with the Father, and has a plan for saving this planet. The stewardship of that revelation, the ownership of that revelation, the keeping and care of that revelation was not given to governments. It was not given to centers of commerce. It wasn't given to the community of arts and entertainment. It wasn't given to the domain of great athletic empires. It wasn't given to great systems of higher learning, but to a movement called the church. Later, the word church would get corrupted. When the Germans begin to use the word kirch instead of the original word that the Bible used or the, the Jesus, the apostles used, was the word Ecclesia. Ecclesia meant a gathering, an assembly. That's why our fellowship chose the name Assemblies of God, I suppose. It meant an assembly, a gathering of people. It was about the people. It was about you. But the Germans uh, came up with the word Kirch. They began to use that word Kirch in the I suppose around the ninth or 10th century. And the word kirch meant a building, an edifice, a place. And of course, humans who control those buildings control the scripture. And by controlling the scriptures, and they made them unavailable to common people. The, The scriptures were written in Latin. They weren't available to the common people. So they begin to control people's lives. And that's where you have the horrible dark ages of the 11th, 12th century. That's where you have the dark ages because the, the church began to control the scripture, begin to control people's lives, and begin to tell people, you can't read the Bible. It's not available to you. In fact, it was illegal to have a copy of the scriptures in some places. Because they wanted to be able to tell people, here's what you have to do. You have to give a certain amount of money in order to get absolution for your sins or else you will be assigned to uh, uh, limbo or hell for eternity. And our friend of, of the church named William Tyndale, you may have heard of Tyndale because they 
It's a company now that produces Bibles. What William Tyndale sought to do was to rescue the Word of God from the church, the church, a building, and make it available to the people. And he began to translate the scriptures into the language of the people. And for that, he was persecuted. In fact, he was, in, he was actually in England, and he actually fled for his life to Germany because he was threatened. And he continued this work uh, of in translating the scriptures. And um, he eventually would, would completely translate the scriptures into the language of the people and make it available to people like you who could read the Bible for themselves. And what he, he did a very interesting thing when he got to the word church in the Bible. He didn't translate it church. He translated it ecclesia. He translated in the English. He translated into the word congregation. So once again, it was a gathering of people. He made it as God had intended about the folks. For this gift, Tyndale was tied to a stake, choked to death, and burned. His final words spoken at that stake, and the actual reporting of him speaking went like this. At the stake, with his fervent zeal and a loud voice, William Tyndale said, Lord, open the eyes of the King of England. It is out of this type of dedication that the church was born and given the responsibility of preaching the good news, proclaiming Christ's exaltation, Christ's eminence, and lifting up the scripture as the word of God. The church, this beautiful thing called the church, is a growing multicultural, multi-ethnic, mission-centered gathering of people who remain the hope of the world. It's out of this gathering of believers that we are sent. We are sent. Megan made that point that she is being sent by this church. We are sent to the world. We are sent to make the person and purpose of Jesus Christ known through our words, our actions, and our deeds. It's noteworthy that the early church sent people out. It's noteworthy that the early church, in the early church, men and women were sent from the church. I want you to circle that point, at least in your minds today. Sent from the church. The church is the place that the gospel is sent to the world. Jesus is sent to the world from the church. Acts 13.1 says, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers in the church. Circle in the church. Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Serene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. <clears throat> while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, while they were doing church, they were having church, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me, Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Saul, for the work which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. The church was the launch point for a good work that Barnabas and Paul were to do in the world. The church was the launch point. While the church at Antioch was in the process of enjoying church together, the Holy Spirit sent Barnabas and Saul to do a good work in the world. The 
the church meets on Sunday, but we begin our work on Monday. We begin to be who we're intended to be on Monday. That's why we say at Bethany, we want the church to be bigger on Monday than it is on Sunday. In the church, Paul and Barnabas received a major and important directive for their lives. It wasn't just incidental that they happened to be in this building, this place. It was probably a home, actually, in Jerusalem at that time. It might have been a courtyard. Sometimes they were too big to be in the house. They would spill out into the courtyard of large homes in Jerusalem, and this is where the church met. I don't know where it was, but it was a place, and it was important. It it was not just coincidental that they happened to be in this place, because this is where they went. This is where they went to to get their involvement with God. This is where they went to get their affirmation of their of the direction for their lives. In the church, Paul and Barnabas received that major direction. It was the congregation at the church that affirmed the work that Paul and Barnabas were to do in the world. That's what the church does still all the time. You know what the word ordain means? When you think of ordain, you probably have heard of people being ordained to ministry, pastors being ordained, preachers being ordained by churches. Uh, well, the word ordain, well, we, you know, you think of ordain, you probably think of some ceremony. I, I, I went through an ordination ceremony many, many years ago and where uh, a stole was put around our neck and we were prayed over. And, and so we associate ordination with a formal uh, uh, ritual like that. But, but it's really a lot simpler than that. The word ordain means to point the finger at So that's really what the church does. The church, we sit around and worship God and enjoy God and sing songs and pray and rejoice and read the word together. And every once in a while, it becomes obvious that somebody, some group of people are supposed to go do something for God, that they're supposed to leave the building Most likely, it may happen in the building. Yes, we do minister to the outside world in this building, of course. It may be something in the building. And it may not be a big ritual or ceremony. You might not get a stole put around your neck. And you may not uh, be brought up, paraded before a congregation. But the people of the church, not just the leaders, but the people of the church, point their finger at you and say, here's what I believe God is calling you to do. Here's what I see that you do really well. Here's what I see that you should keep doing. Here's what I see that's a real blessing to a lot of people. Here's what I see that you could make a difference in people's lives. And sometimes people have to point the fingers and say, you should not keep doing that. That is not what you're good at. (laughs) Sometimes we need that too. Sometimes we need a thumbs down from the church. Now, you shouldn't sing. No, you should not do that. <laughs> Back at your pew. Sing at your pew. <laughs> it was the congregation of the church that affirmed the word. God did not work around, but he worked through this movement called the church. Paul and Barnabas were smart, capable, and good people. They were also known to hear from God without the congregation. They were known, they were interpreting God's voice without the congregation, 
But God decided that he would set a precedent for the church by the means at which his work would be normally done in the world. I said normally, the normative pattern. That's not to say that a person can't hear from God outside of the church, that they can't be that they can't be at their desk or in their car and hear a call from God. That's not to say that that cannot happen. But God established a normative pattern that the church would be a sending institution, that we would be an ordaining institution, that we would be the place where you would discover who you were and discover your giftedness and discover your holiness and discover purity of life and develop who you are. And then be approved, not by some board that's going to uh, make life more difficult for you, but it's going to send you on the adventure of a lifetime. It's incredibly interesting that Jesus only mentions that he would build two things. One he would build in the world, the other in a world to come. In John 14, 2, Jesus said, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. There, meaning not only another place, but another era, another epoch of time, that we're going to have another epoch, epoch, epoch of time, another era of time beyond this present world system. We're going to have, we're going to have another day, an eternal day. We're going to, someday we're all going to step into the eternal day for which there's no night. We're going to step into that eternal day. And, and, and Jesus said, I'm going to go prepare a place for you in that next step of your life. In that next step of your life, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am there, you may be also. But there can't be here. It has to be there. Right? There can't be here. It has to be there. So what Jesus, that first thing that Jesus talks about building was not something we can join yet. And it's like my pastor used to say, you know, I want to go to be with Jesus, but if you're taking up a load tonight, I'm not wanting to go. (laughs) But the Lord did say another thing he's going to build here in this era, in this time, in this earth. And he said to Simon Peter and the disciples in Matthew 16, 18, on this rock, I will build my church and the power of death will not be able to defeat it. The power of death will not be able to defeat it. Christ did not build a corporation, a political party, a nation state, a monument, or a building. Christ built one thing in the earth, and that was the gathering of people he called the church. This is real. This is real. You are at church this morning. You are at church. Amen? Not because it's this building. We could be out in the field somewhere. We could be in a tent. We could be in a a thousand places. But it's because we're together. Christ used all his favorite metaphors for the church. He He didn't bestow his metaphors anywhere else. He didn't bestow these metaphors. He cared about civic life. He cared about the world. He's a lot to say about the world. And it's not all disdain and bad. 
He had a lot of things to say about government. The Bible and, and the apostles and Jesus had a lot to say about government. Rendering to Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God's. He, he had a lot of, I could go through a dozen verses, dozen passages where God had something to say about your life in the, in the, the world and, and the secular world around us. But he didn't give them any of his favorite metaphors. He reserved all his favorite metaphors for your identity as a church. He called you his bride. That's pretty intimate, isn't it? He called you his bride. He called you his body. That's very personal, isn't it? He called you his flock. That's very caring. He called you his building. Not this building. He called you his building. No other person, entity, or place has the clout to Jesus as his church does. He even went so far to say in Ephesians 5.25, and you husbands show the same kind of love to your church, to your wives, I mean, as Christ showed to the church when he died for her. Have we even explored that idea that Jesus died for the church? That's a heavy thought. I'm not sure that I've totally got my brain around. I'm not sure I totally grasp even all that that meant that Jesus made a point, that Paul made a point to let the church know. And we know there are scriptures that talk about he died, he died for the world. But there's something very, very interesting that he wanted to let us know that a special place in his mind when he hung on that cross a special group of people on his heart when he bled and suffered and was beaten and when he said all those amazing things on the cross, a very special people were on his mind and they were the people who would become his church. Perhaps in this series we can unpack that a little more and kind of figure out what did that mean? You can't get any more intense than that in his feelings for this gathering called the church. Now, I want to tell you three things that the sending out of Paul and Barnabas from the church mean to me, and I believe should mean to all of us. The sending out of Paul and Barnabas demonstrates that powerful things happen when we worship together. That powerful things happen when we worship together, that this activity that we engage in on a regular basis, mostly on a Sunday morning, this activity of singing songs, saying prayers, listening to sermons, being together, fellowshipping with one another, this activity that we engage in is a place where powerful things can happen. Life-changing things can happen. Life-launching decisions can be made while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, verse 2. We don't meet together just to get our orders. That's a byproduct of enjoying God together. I'm glad I don't get new orders from God every time we worship. I couldn't handle it. I don't want that many orders. So I don't come here on Sunday morning. I don't meet with you to always get my marching orders, but I meet with you to enjoy God with you. Because there's a way I enjoy God with you that I don't enjoy Him anywhere else. 
There's a way that I experience God when I'm with you that I don't experience him in my private prayer and devotions. When the church went through its darkest period in the 11th and 12th century, it was a time when the, when the emphasis moved from coming together to experience God together to coming together to fulfill a holy obligation. The church turned the act of communion and the act of prayer into just a means of holding off the judgment of God and what, instead of what it was intended to be, which was a holy conversation with God that lifted up the believer and helped the believer see or hear that she was a, he or she was a priest unto God. It's that act of worship. It's turning communion and the act of prayer into a holy obligation that robs us of the joy of knowing God. That we believe and we know and we've experienced that when we meet together, there is the, 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 what, what sets us apart is when we meet together, God shows up in a particular way. It's called, if you want to get into the scriptures, it's called the manifestations of the Spirit. It's called the manifestations of the Spirit. The, the Spirit manifests Himself in His fullness when the church meets together. Although most of us don't believe anymore that we need to go to church to ensure that we go to heaven. Most of us don't believe anymore that missing church is a mortal sin or that missing the prayers or missing communion is a mortal sin. Most of us in this room have rejected that idea that coming to church or missing church rather is, is um, uh, a sin against God to the point that, we would, if, that if our life were to end and we hadn't got to, we hadn't got to communion, or we hadn't got to, to church to have prayer said over us. We've gotten way beyond that, believing that, oh, we're down, we're damned. You know, if we, if, we, if we get killed in a car wreck going to the beach on Sunday morning, we're damned for eternity. Some of you used to believe that, right? And then that was pretty scary. You went to the beach anyway, <laughs> right? You went to the beach anyway, but you were a little bit worried. You drove really slow <laughs> because you weren't sure that maybe, maybe they're right down at the church, that I, I could get locked in purgatory for a long, long time if something bad were to happen today. So most of us, you know, we, that's nonsense. We don't believe it anymore. But have we come full circle? Have we come full circle? Do we have the expectation that when we gather together, what Jesus said in his Gospels really happens. You know what that is that he said? He said, where two or three are gathered together. Now notice, he, he makes a distinction between me being by myself in worship, which that's important, but that's another sermon series, personal devotions. He makes a distinction between being by myself and being with Others, being with the gathering, where two or three are gathered together. This is so powerful, I feel a wave of emotions coming on me before I say it. When two or three are together together, I am. That's the same two words that a guy a, a, a few centuries before heard at a burning bush when he was getting ready, 
God was going to use him to deliver a, a nation out of suppression and slavery. That's the same thing that he heard, I am. When he said, who is talking to me from the bush? The voice came and said, I am. And Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together, I am in the midst. This is a powerful thing we're playing around with here. This is a powerful thing. I am in the midst. In the Bible, everybody bowed in the presence of God because I am in the midst. The church needs a course correction right now. We need a course correction. We don't need curmudgeons who, who, who put down contemporary worship or contemporary music our contemporary styles. We don't need that. That's not helpful. And that's not going to get us where we need to be. I've been there. I've been to those places that rejected, as so Jack Hayford used the term, and only those who knew Jack Hayford would appreciate this, which is like two people in the room, so I shouldn't even be saying it. But Jack Hayford made up words. He really did. He used the word contemporaneity one day. Contemporaneity. The, 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 we don't need to bash contemporaneity, whatever it is. That's what some people, because I've been to those churches that did that. I've been to those churches that said, we're not going to have, we're not going to be, have this worship band and we're not going to, we're not going to have lights and we're not going to do all that. And, and those churches are dead as a doornail. Some of the deadest worship is the churches that are just, because they're just angry. And that doesn't get you arms. But I will say this, I believe the church needs to make a course correction. And we need to stop coming to watch performances. And the people of God need to sing again. The people of God need to raise their voices again and engage with God again. So, so someday I'm, I'm going to make the band turn all the lights off up here and turn all the lights out. We're going to put you. We're going to turn all the lights on you and we're going to have you sing to us. Amen? Not, be, not to be mean or not to, you, you terrible people, you're not singing. I'm just so, I hate that when worship leaders get up and scold the congregation. I've told our church, our group, not don't, don't, don't scold the people. They, they had a hard week, so be nice to them. Be kind to the folks. So it's not about chiding you for not singing. It's not about that at all. It's about inviting you to engage something that's going to change your life. It's inviting you to engage. Paul and Barnabas, man, it, it, we're, we're, go read chapter 14, and you see the incredible adventure that they went on. And it, they could look back. Oh, man, I'm so glad we went to church that day. I'm so glad we went to church. We heard the plan that God had for our life. They went out and changed the world. Eventually, it would be going to Rome and changing the world. The gospel going around the world because they went to church. Secondly, the sending out of Paul and Barnabas demonstrates that we should consider the authority of the church. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called. God has designed our lives. And listen carefully because this is, this is a sensitive point. It's a sensitive point. Because when we talk about being an authority, that, that can be a scary thing. Authority can be abused. 
And whenever you see someone or something as an authority, it's very important to have balance when you talk about authority. And God has so designed our lives beautifully, as you read the scripture, just like, kind of like the United States government, and that is to have different branches of government to provide balance in our lives. God exercises authority through the family, through the family, through the family structure. God exercises his authority in our lives. God exercises his authority through the civil government. I, I, I don't have a right, now I may do it sinfully, but I don't have a right to get out and drive 85 today and say to the police officer who pulls me over, sir, I've come under the authority of the church. No, that's God's authority too. The Bible is very clear about that. I believe God exercises authority through our educational systems. Whatever they are. In ancient times, it was mentors and rabbis. Today, it's different. But God also channels his authority in our lives through the church. What I'm asking you to do is include the church. Include the church in the places you're going to go to receive wisdom and direction for your lives. Set apart from me, Barnabas and Saul was not a suggestion. It was the authority of God flowing through the church. God's authority still flows through the church. I want to put this on the wall for you to see. When we treat the church as a mere servant, a source of amusement, amusements, a club, an activity center, a child care facility, or a center of our tribal rituals, we miss the power of the church to give moral definition, wise direction, affirmation of our spiritual gifts, and kingdom vocation. I want to say that again because I really, really believe we need to reconsider the role of the church as a part of God's directive to our life. When we treat the church as a mere servant, a source of amusements, a club, an activity center, a child care facility, or a center of our tribal rituals, we miss the power of the church to give moral definition, wise directions, affirmation of our spiritual gifts and kingdom vocation. Church membership has the potential of being transformative. But the church has to be viewed as a place through which the authority of Scripture flows and not just another consumer experience. The fear of becoming a cult is valid, but the exaltation of Scripture will protect the church from becoming a cult. Acts 17.11 says, The Bereans received the message with great eagerness. Listen to this. This is not, a, this is not on the wall for you to see. This, the, the Bereans received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. The Scripture is the only thing that gives the church any authority. Let me say that again. The Scripture is the only thing that gives the church any authority in your life. But if you don't embrace the authority, you're dismissing a pillar of wisdom and stability that God is offering you as a gift, not a threat. Paul and Barnabas weren't made miserable by the authority of the church, but they were sent off on the adventure of a lifetime, on a trip that changed the world. We'd like to send you to Texas. That's not self-serving. That's not mean. That's not oppression. That's liberating you to the purpose for which you were created. That's what the authority of the church is for. Number three, 
the sending out of Paul and Barnabas demonstrates that we should understand the purpose of a church. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now, if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, I don't belong here because I'm not ready to worship, much less fast, except that I might want to get out of here fast. Or you might be thinking, I'm not looking for any more authorities. I kind of got enough of those. Thank you very much. Hold on, hold on, let me finish this point. Loving and serving those who don't believe as we do, loving and serving those who don't buy into Jesus wholeheartedly is the reason we exist. So stick around. They placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now, if you happen to have come here and you're not a believer or you're just not a church person, you're a guest of honor. And yes, we're going to invite you to believe with all of our hearts. Yes, we're going to try to sell you on the validity of our claims about God. But if we get it right, we're going to do that in such a way that you don't feel beat up, but you end up saying, I want to have what they have. You end up saying, I want to be a part of that kind of group. If we do this right, even if we talk about God's judgment of evil, you're going to be attracted to that God because you can clearly see if the world isn't delivered from evil, it's going to be destroyed. So your voice is going to go up an octave and your volume a few decibels and you'll be hearing us say, that's good news. The whole reason we join a church Because if it was just about being with God in heaven, then we should kill you in the baptismal tank. I now baptize you. The whole reason we join the church is to be sent out from the church. I want to show you a picture here, a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture we're going to see right there. Isn't that beautiful? It's beautiful, but like a lot of churches, It's dead. That's the Dead Sea. It's beautiful, but there's no life coming out of it. Let me explain why it's dead. It's beautiful, but it's dead. The Sea of Galilee is just north of the Dead Sea. It also receives water from the same source, the Jordan River. Galilee is is rich with fish and marine life. It's a home over 20 different types of fish. It has lots of plants. Beautiful place. The Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee are located in the same area, but they both and they both have the same source of water, yet one is full of life, the other is dead. How come? Here's why. The River Jordan flows into the Sea of Galilee and then flows out of it. That keeps its water healthy, vibrant, alive. The Dead Sea is so far below the sea level that it has no outlet. The water flows into it from the Jordan River, but doesn't flow out. There's no outlet stream. It is estimated there were 7 million tons of water evaporates from the Dead Sea every day, and this causes this extremely high salt content, and it's so full of minerals that nothing can live there. This makes it unfit for marine life or vegetation. The Dead Sea takes water from the Jordan, holds it. It does not give. Its result is no life. Clint Burris said this amazing statement, God's delivery system of heaven's resources to earth moves through his church. But if you don't join the church, you can't be sent from the church. If you don't love the church, the, can't love, the church can't love the world through you. If you don't submit to the church, you can't be sent. If you don't engage with the church, you can't be empowered by the church. So here's my appeal today. 
Here's my appeal to you today as our prayer partners come. Now, I want to say this before I give you my appeal. And I want to say this to you today because these prayer partners are coming up here to pray for you. And the appeal that I'm going to make to you right now may not fit neatly into something you want to run up and be prayed for. So these wonderful people, these wonderful church people are standing here today. And they're here to pray for you for whatever's going on in your life. Because we're here to give to you. We're here to be generous to you. We're here to bless you. And you're out there today and you got some situation at home. Tough relationships. You've got, you've heard something from the doctor that you didn't want to hear. You've heard something about your job that you didn't want to hear. Maybe you just feel lost spiritually and emotionally and you're just, maybe you're just depressed. That's the people I want to come up here and get prayed for. And maybe, just maybe, somebody will want to pray about your relationship with the church. That's okay, too. But I just want to let you know, what I'm about to say may not fit into a neat kind of invitation to run up and be prayed for. Because here's what I want to ask. I want to ask you today to join the church. Yes, we have a membership community group. If you haven't attended, sign up for that. That'd be great. However... You may have already gone through that membership orientation and even signed a membership covenant. But in your heart, you don't, you haven't decided to belong. I want you to hear the call of God to be committed to the church and specifically Bethany Community Church and say, this is my church. This is our church. That's what I want to happen. These are the people, <clears throat> you're going to look around this room and you're going to say, these are the people I'm going to discover God with. And these are the people I'm going to enjoy God with. And I'm going to discover my purpose with these people. You know, you know. let me, let me just say this. In these days, you may have experienced this, and I do it too. We give these um, spiritual gifts tests to find out, kind of help people find out what your spiritual gift is. They didn't have any spiritual gift tests in the New Testament. They didn't give people a test that they took. They talked to them. Wow, that's bizarre, isn't it? They talked to one another about who one another was. They had conversations and they said, man, you're really good at serving. You're really good at showing mercy. You, wow, when you, when you talk to me about the Bible, I think you have the gift of teaching. You, you're really direct and sometimes it scares me, but when, you, when I think about what you said, you're, you're usually right on in identifying where I'm making a mistake. And I don't always like it, but I think you have the I think you're a prophet. Point the finger at one another. That's what happens when you become a part of a church. So you're gonna say today, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna have conversation. I'm gonna bring the lost and the least to be served here. This is the place from which I will be launched into the adventure of being salt and light in a corrupt and dark world. That's what I'm asking you to do today is to say, I'm ready to belong to the church. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, just as I would call a person to receive Jesus as their Savior, you called us to be baptized into the body of Christ. And I believe that there are folks, some folks here today who are being called to belong. They're being called to belong. And that even though it sounds cool to just 
be free, a free agent, so to speak, and not really belong anywhere. But we know that deep down it's not satisfying. It's not doing it for us. It's not a good plan. It's not how we would facilitate any other objective that we have in our life. We would join those who would be able to help us. So God, I invite by your grace, and I believe you're inviting people to enter and embrace the church with its flaws, with its faults, so imperfect, but yet believe, I believe God has placed me here. You said you have placed the members in the body where you will. Let us discover that today. And I pray for those who are hurting and needs in, in need today and physically and financially and so and, uh, relationally and emotionally. I pray that they would receive a touch from the Father today, that you are in the midst of us because we're together. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you come and be prayed for? Receive com- Holy Communion today. Let's enter into response time.